0: good morning and here we go again it's another Sunday beautiful day I bet it's starting to get warm now summer's in uh, pretty much full gear here in Houston Texas which means we have temperatures in the 90s and humidity just about the same percentage so we we thank God every day for air conditioning in Houston in Texas actually all, all over the south so I want to start today over in Ephesians chapter 3. Hope it's been a good week for you and you're ready to get stretched a little bit. Although the message this morning, the the revelation is not so much in in the hearing as it is in the doing. And this is a a teaching that I've had some requests to do. It's it's kind of a basic grace uh, teaching that if you have friends or relatives that you wanted to introduce the grace message to, to give a contrast between maybe the grace that they believe and the revelation of grace that you have. I'm doing a little bit of a contrast this morning, so I hope that it will help you. And if you're watching this because somebody has (laughs) given it to you or sent it to your Facebook wall or messaged it to you, it's because they have something they would like to say to you, and maybe they're not sure of the words of how to say it, but they're trusting the Spirit of Truth to maybe open your eyes to a bigger uh, dimension of grace than what you've seen before. So let's begin over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul says this. He said, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Now that that word dispensation is a terrible word there, terrible translation. And it actually straightens it out in the center, center column of my Bible, it says that the word dispensation actually means stewardship. There is no dispensation of grace. Grace has always been, is, and always will be how the Father works with humanity. What Paul is saying is there's been a stewardship given to me, this grace. In other words, I I have this grace. I'm to look over it. I'm to dispense it, teach it, give it out. He said it's been given to me for you. So what I want to do this morning is talk about the grace that has been given to me for you and maybe the grace that has been given to you for other people, your family, your friends, your co-workers, people at church. Oh my goodness, how believers need to really find out what grace is. When we talk about grace, there probably isn't any other word from the Bible that is used more than the word grace. And I'd follow that up with saying there probably isn't any word in the Bible that has been used more wrongly the word grace at least Paul's definition of grace I mean grace grace is part of thousands of church names I mean drive up and down the street you'll see how many times look in a phone book that grace is part of the name of a church that has no clue about the grace that Paul talked about and I'll talk about the grace that they see and the grace that Paul actually revealed just a minute I just want you to see how misused this term has been. Go to the Christian bookstore. You'll see book titles that have the name. But you read the books. They're full of law. They're full of guilt. They're full of effort. They're full of works. Uh, Ministry names have grace all over them. I'm I'm thinking right now of uh, John MacArthur, probably the most ungraceful man on the planet that is quick to tell you how much God hates you how much he's reviled by the actions of your life. And the name of his radio program is Grace to You. <laughs> Figure that out. <laughs> it's anything but grace. Most of us ha- had a view of grace. At least I did. Let me tell you my view of grace before I understood grace. I had a view of grace that involved my obedience, that involved my sacrifice or my behavior to experience the release that God would give of His grace, in other words, I, I would see that I needed to uh, merit unmerited favor, and the way that I got into God's grace was was you know by my obedience, my prayer life, my sacrifice, my commitment, all of those things, and God would be so pleased with me that He would extend grace. We saw we saw grace. I saw grace more. More as a reward than a gift. It was a reward. I mean, it was a good reward. It was wonderful. But nonetheless, it was based on something that I did to merit the grace. I want to tell you right up front this morning, before I get into this, make absolutely no mistake about it. Grace is a flat-out gift. It's a gift. And Webster says that a gift is something that is voluntarily transferred By the giver without compensation. That's what a gift is. A gift is what a giver gives to somebody and they expect absolutely nothing in return. They don't require anything to come back. Now, make no mistake about it. The grace that Paul taught, real grace, pure grace, radical grace, hyper grace, has nothing to do with what you do. Now, now make no mistake, it's a gift. Let me, let me walk you through three, three verses real fast just to emphasize and show that grace is a gift. Let's start with Romans chapter 5. We'll start and then we'll just move to the right a little bit. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. He says, For the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So we see that Paul calls it the gift that comes by grace or the grace gift. No confession, no meriting, no obedience, no sacrifice required. It is simply given by the giver without requirement of compensation in return. All right, let's read another verse. Ephesians chapter 3. Keep turning to the right just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 3. I hope you really catch on all this today. This is good stuff. This is basic. It's foundational. Don't turn that. Don't turn your computer off. You need to hear this because this is a message that once you get it deeply ingrained within you, you can dispense it. That's what I'm after this morning. I'm after giving you an understanding of grace that you can give into other people's lives. All right, it's a gift. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7, <clears throat> Paul said, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given to me by the effective working of his power. So Paul says it's, it's a gift that was given to me, it works in my life by the power of God, it flows out of me because of who God is, but it was a gift. One more, Ephesians chapter 4, one chapter over it says, but to each one of us, grace was given. It's a gift. It was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So however big that you measure the gift of Christ will be the amount of grace that you're experiencing in your life. Oftentimes I tell you that there is no end to this grace. That it's, that it's wider, higher, deeper, and, and, and longer than you could ever put a measurement on. And the way that grace increases in your life is to increase your understanding of the gift that Jesus gave of himself. As you understand more and more about the finished work of the cross, as you understand more and more about the love of the Father, your grace measure increases. You see it more than it ever was. So the, this, the Father's giveaway, comes, it comes into your life like this. It comes as a divine influence. And when that divine influence gets strong enough, it creates an effortless change within you that we call believing. Grace does all the heavy lifting. Grace does all of the work. Grace does everything that is necessary from saving you to keeping you to doing everything that you have to have in your life. It totally comes down a one-way street and it leaves you nothing to do except say thank you. I recognize it's effective working in my life and I say thank you. If if you're rude, you still get grace. If you're unthankful, you still receive grace. If you don't believe anything I'm telling you, you're still going to get grace. If you refuse to say thank you for it, you still get grace. It doesn't stop the imputing into your life of the grace of the Father. So when that divine influence gets strong enough and the, the revelation of all the gifts you have because of the finished work of the Christ, and you start seeing all this come together. You start reading your Bible and you go, oh my goodness, I see all this has been in the Bible the whole time and I didn't see it. Or you're like me. What normally happens to me is I see verses that I never saw before. Or, or grace gives you a different lens that allows you to see new meaning to verses that you always read and thought you knew exactly what they meant. And grace comes along and totally contorts your view. There are times I used to have to look at my Bible, see if it was still the new King James because it looked like a new Bible. And it arises within you this spring of living water and makes you feel like you've been born again, 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 and again. Even if you've been a Christ follower all of your life, you experience this life-giving flow in your spirit that you never knew existed before. And that's what grace grace gives to you. And all of that comes apart from your Bible, apart from it. It comes apart from all of your religious training, all the religious teaching. All of a sudden, it's a new day. Man, that's what grace said. Grace makes the new day approach. And all those old things that held you down, all the chains, all the bondages, all the ropes, all the misconceptions, they begin to fall off. And you you develop this sensitivity to hearing grace plus add-ons. And when you hear grace plus an add-on, Jesus plus something, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. And you see how it dilutes the effectiveness of changing without our effort. And if you're not careful, you get pulled back into that cesspool of now creating change by your efforts. And changing, trying to change by your efforts brings that same old cycle of guilt and condemnation when you fail. Then you tell God how sorry you are and you get back on the track and then, you know, you go through the whole rigmarole again until you finally just say, look, I'm going to have to surrender my life totally to grace. So what what I'm saying it does is this. It ruins you for religion. But now, man, you're head over heels in relationship with the Father through the Son and the Spirit. And so you start understanding that you're only going to accept Paul's grace. Probably makes it hard to go to the old church anymore because all you're going to hear there is a mixed message of law and grace, behavior modification. You must do, you have to become, in order for God to love or for God to bless or for God's grace. You're going to hear, well, we all need to gather and just cry out to God and beg for his presence. And all of that just becomes, I can't handle that kind of message anymore. I think it was Robert Capon that coined the phrase, what you're going to want is to drink grace straight up, man. No ice and no water. You want to take that shot of grace 100 proof with no dilution to it. So what I want to do this morning in this teaching is I want to draw some contrasts between church grace and Paul's grace. Because church grace, and I might be painting church with a little bit of a broad brush, But I know your background, I know my background, so I'm speaking pretty, pretty much without exception. Church grace, the grace that I understood, it required something from me, my obedience, my sacrifice, my behavior, my lack of sin to be released, that grace. And the grace that Paul taught over here, they're on opposite ends of the scale. They're on opposite ends of the balance. So I want to give you what Capon called that drink of grace straight up. A shot with no ice, no water. <laughs> and you may, maybe you remember that first shot of whiskey you ever took. I probably talked to people never took one. But if you did, you know how, boy, it, it, it got your attention as it went down. And that's what I want grace to do. I want grace to be like that 100 proof shot of whiskey the first time you ever took it right first time you ever drank it so the question is how did I see and believe grace before I saw and believed grace because I was I mean I believed in grace for 50 years before I saw grace and got a handle on what it really was and once I did man I was no way that I was going back to that grace that I used to think was grace which was really a mixture of The grace that I was drinking had water and ice in it (laughs) in huge proportion. Wasn't much grace left. It was mostly all water and ice. It was so diluted. So how did I see grace? How did you see grace before we got to Revelation? How do many of your friends and family members, how are they seeing grace today? Maybe this video will help them. Maybe maybe this teaching you you can share with them and it will bring a little bit of illumination. I'll tell you how I saw it. I'm going to give you five things this morning, five ways that I saw grace before grace was revealed. First of all, I I understood it like this. I understood that I was saved by grace, but I had no clue that I was kept by grace. Now, let me put a caveat on I was saved by grace because the saving grace was contingent on my repenting. The saving grace to come into my life was contingent on my faith, my asking, my right believing. Then God unfolded his arms when I had repented, believed, and had enough faith. Made him the Lord and Savior of my life. He released, he unfolded his arms and released grace to me. The way that I saw grace was very transactional. I did my part, God did his part. And once I did my part, God would do his part and the transaction would then be complete. And it kind of worked that way for everything. If I needed uh, finances, I needed blessing, I would try to use my faith, my confession, my lifestyle, my prayer time, more Bible reading to make God unfold his arms and release the grace. Grace was always transactional. Yes, God gave grace. But I mean, he, come on he... He wasn't just going to throw it on any old buddy. I mean, he, he, he might let go of it when we showed how much we wanted it, desired it, longed for it. Then he might show some grace to us, right? Grace was very transactional. I did my part. Then he released his part. Maybe, maybe. Now, if it was that tough to get, it was even harder to keep. So to make sure I kept his grace and lived in his grace, I took out a lot of works insurance. I made sure I got my one hour of prayer in every day. I made sure I read my two chapters from the old, one chapter from the new, a psalm and a proverb every day. I would keep keep, uh, moving the dial of my commitment higher. The commitment that I had last year would not suffice this year. I had to be more committed, more involved. And that greater commitment, that greater involvement, secured my position in his grace. I was a classic Galatians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. I was was classic and thought the whole time that I was living in grace. Can you relate? Look what he says over here. Paul went to the church in Galatia and took them his message of grace, imparted it to them. But like so many of us, we have a tendency to work our way back into a merit system. I mean, even now, you have to catch yourself sometimes that you don't get back in that same old mindset. If I could just move it up a little bit, God would be happy. Paul says, you crazy Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's a a term of witchcraft. Who's put witchcraft on you? Who has messed with your will, manipulated, controlled it? that you would not obey the truth which, whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you crucified. He said, I came and I showed you the finished work of the cross. I showed you. I re- laid it out for you. You grabbed it. Everything that Jesus has given us. He said, I have a question. He said, did you receive what I gave you by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? And they're all going to say, we, we received it because of the faith of Christ and what he's done. Then in verse 3, says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And that's the way I understood grace. I was perfecting myself through the flesh. People in that place suffer a lot of performance anxiety. I deal with people all the time who have performance anxiety, and I'm always amazed at how far people can get into grace, then all of a sudden one day they're back in the performance mold. But I understand it because I was there. I was, I was both parts of Ephesians 3.3. 3. I had begun in the Spirit, yes. And he said, are you not being made perfect by the flesh? Yes, I was, I thought. I mean, you have to understand, I came from a long line of, of holiness people that believed that it was our actions that sanctified us and made us holy before God, and we had to live an upright and was a disciplined lifestyle. And we failed far more than we ever succeeded. And because we failed, then we didn't feel that we merited the grace of God. But here, here's the straight shot of grace, no ice, no water. Pure grace, apart from effort, not only saves you, but it also keeps you. You have no part in the process, Period. It is the gift of God. It's not of effort. If it were of effort, Paul said we could boast about it. We could tell other people, you need to come in and do what I did. Look what I did. I believed, confessed, all the good things I did and God released his grace and saved me. Now you need to do what I do. With grace that Paul taught, pure, undiluted, straight shot, No ice, no water, behavior, good behavior, or bad behavior is not required to be a recipient of the grace. All right, here's one of the greatest grace passages in all of Scripture. If you ever want a go-to passage, it's Ephesians chapter 1, and let me just read verses 3 through 7, although you can read more verses than that. I think that you get the idea in these verses of the release of grace that God has given upon humanity, apart from humanity's works. All right, this is the straight shot right here, right? You've got to add ice or water to dilute this down to mean less than what Paul meant. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right. So what did you have to do to get the blessing? Nothing. He's already blessed you. Every blessing comes by grace. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him, he did the choosing. When did he do it? Before the foundation of the world. How strong is this choosing? That That we should be holy and without blame before him in his eyes in love. So how strong is the grace? How, 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 how much can we depend on just his grace? Well, just his grace, his choosing of us, predestinating us in him, choosing us to be holy and without blame comes by grace. Do you see that? There's, in this passage that we're going to read, as we're reading it, there is nothing about man's part or a stipulation Or a requirement on any of it. Not that you believe it, you confess it. This is the fact. This is, he's saying, this is truth. This is the way I designed it. This is the way I set it in motion. Having predestined us as adoptions by sons, by Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He did all of it because he wanted to. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So the first first thing that I had to to come to grips with. Is that my effort meant nothing. (laughs) All my good deeds amounted to a hill of beans to God. So number one. Before I understood grace that Paul taught. I understood I was saved by grace with caveat and stipulations, but I certainly wasn't kept by grace. Number two, and boy, that Ephesians 1 passage is strong. I could spend a whole series on that passage. All right, the grace I understood before I understood grace, number two, has made me feel obligated to serve. I felt obligated to serve because law always demands servitude. Law always demands you adhere, follow, and serve the law. And it comes in the form of like this. Jesus has done everything for you. Now, can you not do everything for him? You ever hear that in church? After all he's done for you, after all he's given for you, he's given his best. Can you not give your best for him? Wow. That puts an obligation on you, doesn't it? He gave his life for you. Can you give your life for him? Do you hear the guilt in that? Do you hear the condemnation? Do you hear, you look at him and you go, holy mackerel, look at everything. I mean, wow, he did the whole thing. Uh, And so you start out, you start out, and, 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 and you always find there's more of you to give. I prayed an hour, probably could have prayed two. So that becomes the climate of religious culture. We owe a debt. So, you need to work the debt off. The law is kind of like the coyotes, you know, down at the border. The coyotes, for a fee, bring you across the border. And since you have no money, the coyote charges five, six, seven, eight, $10,000 to bring you across the border. Now, because the coyote did that for you, when you get a job, now you have to pay the coyote back. So, we make Jesus like a coyote. <laughs> Yeah, he went to the cross and paid the debt for us, but now, man, we got to pay him back with our whole life. And the debt is never paid off, and that's what those coming across the border find with the coyote. He keeps adding more interest and more interest and more interest, and the debt is never paid off. So here's, here's the pure grace. No ice, no water. This set, me, this set me free. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. If you haven't highlighted this verse, you need to highlight it. This verse verse took the half to the obligation out of my life, even as a pastor. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. For it is God who works in you. He's working in all of us. What is he working in us? Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So what, what is it that he's actually working in there? He's working in there his will. He's working into you his will. He's working in you the desire to do the will. He's removing out this sense of obligation, this sense of I have to. See, when you hang out with him every day, you just walk with him in the cool of the evening, you hang out, you have this running conversation all day long. Do you know what, he fi- what you find? You find, listen, you find that he directs your steps every day. It's not this whole big plan that you've got to do something to merit his love. Not this whole big thing that you have to pay the debt off because of everything he did for you. He's working in you both the will and the power to do the will. That's what it says. It is God who works in us both to will and to do the will. He's working that in us. He gives you the want to then he comes in and gives you the ability to do what you not want to do. There's a world of difference between have to and want to. When I understood grace before I understood grace, I understood the obligation. I understood the have to. I understood that I had to discipline myself, motivate myself. Now that I understand that it's God who works in me both to will and And to do of his good pleasure. All of a sudden I find my whole whole world changes. And there's no more obligation. I'm not an obligation to come over here. And do the digital cathedral every Sunday morning. I'm not obligated to do that. I do because I want to. Do you know why I want to? Because he put the will in me to want to. Do you know why I have something to teach when I come over here? Because he gave me the ability to do the will. He gave me the teaching. I didn't have to come up with it myself. He speaks it to me. I just come over and proclaim it. The obligation. The have to. The burden of all of that is God. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Anything harder than easier or heavier than light is no longer a joy. It's a drain and it's not grace. It's law. So now that I understand grace, I I, I don't have any more obligation. I don't have any more have-tos. But man, he has sure filled my life with a lot of joy and want-tos. And part of the joy of the want-to is that he gives me the ability to do it. All right, number three. Number three. Before I understood grace like I understand grace now, I kept asking for things I didn't know I already had. I kept asking for things I, I didn't know that I already had. I was frustrated a lot of the time. Most of my pastoral life within a building, I was frustrated because nothing was happening to the level I wanted it to happen. And you know what? I thought it was because of me that I lacked faith. That I didn't believe hard enough. Or how about this? The devil was stealing from me. Right? He was stealing my inheritance. He was stealing what belonged to me. There were, or there was sin in my life. What sin? I don't know. I, I, I don't know, if sin, but there must be. So I would have to pray and ask God for things. I would, I would sing and pray for hours. God, come down. God, come where I am. God, come over here. Holy Spirit, fall like rain. Father, fill me up. Father, make me holy in your sight. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet to sound. Save a poor old wretch like me. I got to ask. My life even though I thought I had a handle on grace, was try, always trying to get from where I was to where he was. And this gap that was in my life between where he was, between where I was and he was, I could never get it crossed. It was, it was always a continued effort. I was trying to get to victory. Victory is like this, this vapor that I could never get my hands on. It was like trying to nail like trying to nail jello to a tree. It just, it was impossible. See, and religion, religion feeds on that false humility that I, I, I just, I'm unworthy, I can't get it done. I, I just wish I could earn my way over to where he is. It rewards that false humility, that unworthy spirit, that increasing striving to become. I, I, I spent my life asking. Bam, I wish I had all of those hours back. Now here's pure grace, straight up, no ice, no water. Are you ready? 2 Peter chapter 1. This this is one of those scriptures that I'm telling you came out of nowhere and I wondered why did I not see this before. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied. Man, I like that multiplication stuff. I was hoping just to get it added to me. (laughs) Added. Multiply is a lot better than added. I was praying just trying to get something added to me. He comes along and says, I'm going to multiply grace in your life. It's not going to be two plus two. It's going to be two times two times two. It's not going to be three plus three, which is six. It's going to be three times three, which is nine. It's going to come through multiplication. Now, here's, he said it comes through the knowledge. Now, watch, watch what it comes. It comes in the knowledge to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Why we don't have more grace and peace is because we don't have the knowledge. I'm giving you knowledge. This is how it comes. It doesn't come by asking for what you already have. Well, what do you have? Here it comes. Here's here's how he multiplies it. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So he has come into your life. He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's nothing else outside of that. Everything that you need for life, finances, health, relationships, everything you need for life, Everything you need in godliness. Everything you need in your spiritual walk, in your spiritual life. And to make your natural life, your spiritual life is one life. He's given you all of it. One package deal, right? And again, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So what is is he saying here? Now, when you get grace, you'll see it. He's saying you're already blessed. He's already met every need. He's already, he's already here. He's already made you holy. The Holy Spirit already fills your life. He's given, that's part of Godliness. He's already filled all of that. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little insight about my life. I don't ask for anything anymore. I can't tell you the last time I asked for something for myself. for a car, for finances, for health. I can't tell you the last time I spent a lot of time in prayer saying, God, I need, I must have, please give me. But I'll tell you what I am discovering. I'm discovering what I already have. And I'm beginning to discover how to implement it. That's the secret. The implementation of it, he gave us the key. It comes through revelation. It comes through the knowledge of him, right? We've been led to believe that God withholds what we need. That God's stingy. He's got his hands around it until we get things just right. Until we push the right buttons, flip the right switches. Then God might release it. I went through the gospels with a specific purpose. To see whenever, when did Jesus ask for something for himself? Did Jesus pray for food? Did he pray for shelter? Did he pray for, what did Jesus ever pray for, for himself? I could not find nothing. If you know of something that Jesus prayed for himself, send me a a message or comment. I could find nothing. As he is, so are we in this world. This is the magnitude of grace. To where you have to ask. No longer do you ask to have your needs met. He gives you more than your needs. He gives you your wants and desires as well. The key to it is that verse in John fourteen twenty. If there's ever a verse in scripture. That sums up what grace is all about. It's John 14, 20. When Jesus told the disciples. Guys, in that day you'll know. That grace day you'll know. When grace opens up. You see how good it all is. You'll know that I'm in the Father. And that you're in me and I'm in you. Out of that place that Jesus lived. Out of that place of union. Out of that place of oneness. That he lived that we are to live also. Listen, everything in life that you ever need or want will be supplied for you. You are in... You are in union with the source. You are in oneness with the source. Why are we spending all of our time begging and pleading when the source is within us, when we are within the source? I didn't get it till I got grace. Straight up, no ice, no water, 100 proof. All right, number four. Number four. I was more sin conscious than righteous conscious. When I thought I knew grace before I got grace, I was more sin conscious than righteous conscious. Part of that is because I put so much ice and water in grace. The ice and the water that I put in grace that created a same consciousness was that I must do to become. I had to do, I had to perform to become. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, to a holiness guy, I'm telling you, this, this sh- makes a shift in your life that you can't deny. The reason I was so sin conscious is because I failed so many times. And I failed so many times is because I set a standard, I set a law for myself of achievement. And when I fell short of that I felt bad and I told God I would try harder. I'd do better. It says in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation, salvation, wholeness, healing, preservation, brings everything we need. That's what the grace of God brings. It has appeared to all men and it teaches us, verse 12 says, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. What teaches us? What strengthens us? What empowers us to do what we tried to do that created all of the sin consciousness? He said it's grace. Grace is a teacher. When grace teaches you, it also empowers you. It equips you. It equips you to do what you could not do with your behavior. With your religious self-righteous actions, you could not achieve the level that grace has achieved for you. Now we become aware of it. When you become aware of it, you enter into it. When you enter into it, you live it out. And as you live it out, sin consciousness goes and what takes its place is righteous consciousness. Now what I suggest, would suggest to you is that you begin to fill yourself with a sense of rightness, a sense of who you are, a sense of right identity. And as that comes in, it will automatically begin to push all of the sin consciousness and the failure consciousness and the I'm not worthy consciousness out of your life. I, I thought I had understood grace but I put so much ice and so much water in it that made me fail. That when I failed, I felt I still lacked. Sin consciousness sounds like this. It'll come out in a message of teaching or thoughts in your head of repent. Quit that. Do better. Try harder. Stay away from that. And you develop laws to do that. You say, okay, I will never do that again. I will stay away from there. I I won't get involved in it. And by setting that law up, you're putting an emphasis on yourself and your ability to keep it. Righteous consciousness puts an emphasis on what he has done already for you as you. So your your, your focus now changes from your action to his already completed action. That's what grace does. Grace takes you and moves where you see. No longer do I see me and what I do. I see him as me and what he has already done. Now, in John chapter 8 and verse 15, let me see if I can illustrate this real fast. And I got to hustle on because I got one more to give you. John chapter 8 and verse 15. Man, we thought we knew grace, didn't we? We had no no friggin' clue what grace was. We weren't experiencing grace. We were experiencing a works-based transaction trying to merit the favor of God that we told everybody was unmerited. John chapter 8 and verse 15. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. You know, you judge by what you do. You judge other people by what they do. And so you get hung up on. You judge other people by what they do. Then you look at you and say, well, I'm not so bad. Look at them. I'm not so bad. I don't do all the stuff they do. You judge and judge yourself. And Jesus said, I judge no one. I don't know where we get the judgment thing from because last week I read to you where Jesus said the Father judges nobody, put all judgment in the hands of the Son. Now we just read where Jesus said, I don't judge anybody. Do you know where judgment comes? It comes from you. You judge you all of the time the way that you judge other people as well, right? But that's the way that it works. That's the way that it works. I was more sin conscious than righteous conscious. One more verse. Because you need to change where you're looking. You need to change the focus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Last verse of chapter 5. It says this. It says he made him who knew no sin. To be sin for us. That we who knew no righteousness. Might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see the exchange? He comes along and he says okay look. I know your head is filled with unrighteousness. Your head is filled with sin. Your head is filled up with all those things that you think has separated you. I'm going to pull all the ice, all the water. I'm going to pour you a drink that's straight, 100 proof. I want you to drink this. And when you drink it, I want you to know that I'm pulling your sin out of you, putting it in me. And I'm pulling my righteousness out of me and putting it in you. We're just going to make a switch, an exchange. So now when you look at you, you don't see the sin, you see the righteousness. Focus. Get a different focus on what he has done, not what you must do. That will lead you, that will take you into this effortless change and a life of righteous consciousness. All right. Number five, last one. Before Before I got a revelation of grace, pure grace, radical grace, grace that Paul taught all the Gentiles, I thought I knew grace. And what it created in me, number five, was a stronger relationship with the written word than with the living word. I was a man of the Bible. I knew my Bible. And I still know my Bible. And you that hang in here know I use my Bible a lot. But I, this is where my relationship was. I scoured it night and day, not, not to discover him, not to discover his love and his goodness. Not to discover his grace. I read this all the time to find out what I should do and what I shouldn't do. I read this all the time to see what he required of me, what he was asking of me. I read this all the time to see how to release blessing, how to release answers to prayer. You know, when I would find things, I would make a teaching and come over and teach the people at the church how to get answers to prayer, how to live in victory. Here you go. It's all right in here. I had a great relationship with this. I read the Bible to modify my behavior, to please him, not to discover him. I didn't read read this through the filter of the finished work of the completed cross of Jesus because I didn't know about it. I didn't get that. I didn't have the revelation yet of what all Jesus had done for me apart from what I must do. So that produced a law mindset of what I should do, not Paul's grace of what he's done. I I would read this in light of what I must do. I mean, come on, you read it the same way, right? All the the while, he's dropping into my spirit. Already done. Already done. Already done. Let me find what I must do. Already done. Already done. A lot of confusion among Christ followers. And it's been fed by this double-mindedness of law and grace. Law and grace. What I must do, what he's already done. What I have to do, his grace. Spirit, truth comes within and it's revealed by the Father. And we read that. We see that. And yet we come back to the Old Testament. We see a God of the Old Testament. So which is it? Is it the God of law of the Old Testament? Or is it this God of love, this Father that Jesus presents in the new? And and, and, and before I understood grace, I tried to make them all fit together. It was like a jigsaw puzzle I would take. Pieces from the old. Try to get it to to, to fit in with the pieces of the new. Try to get the picture complete. There is no complete picture in that. It's the living word that takes up residence within you. Let me read a couple of verses. Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to start to conclude this. Luke chapter 24. Look look, Look at this. Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This book ought to do one thing. It ought to point to the Christ that lives within. Come down to verse 31. Verse 31, same encounter. Their eyes opened and they knew him. And as soon as they knew him, he vanished out of their sight. He did, they, don't, they didn't need the visible. They knew him. They had intimate, knew him. Intimate relationship. And they said to one another. Did not our hearts burn within us. When he talked with us. The hearts burned. When he talked with us. And while he opened the scriptures to us. He's talking to disciples. Followers of Jesus. And they didn't have the scriptures open because he wasn't talking to them. Listen, his relationship, the living word's relationship with you, is what opens the scriptures. Reading the scriptures to try to find him or figure him out is the wrong process. The process is understanding the truth of God himself lives within you and he will lead you to truth. So that when you look at the book, you see it through the filter of what he has opened to you. That's where your strength's got to be. Your strength is in the living word, not the written word. Grace takes you straight to Jesus, the living word, the source of all truth, which liberates you, which sets you free. All right, let me say this and I'm done. The church grace that I had all my life of mixture works continually to try to make you an improved creation. Straight grace, no mixture, walks out of the tomb with him, walks you out of the tomb with him in full union, not as an improved creation, but walks you out as a new creation grace. I'm telling you, pure grace in your life is only going to get stronger and stronger. It's going to get stronger. And any ice or water that you've got in it is going to be extracted. It's coming out. Until you drink that, until you drink that shot straight up with no ice, no water. It will be all him plus nothing. This comes by revelation alone. It comes by the spirit of truth within you alone. Don't work at it. Don't psych yourself up. Rest, trust, and believe in everything that he personally reveals to you. He's revealing grace to all of us who thought we knew grace. And the grace that he's revealing is a whole lot bigger than we ever imagined. But what joy, what victory, what a triumphant life it brings. God bless. I'll see you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. Don't forget Wednesday 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook page. Let's talk about these five a little bit more. See you Wednesday next Sunday. God bless.